All right, how many of you remember the dreaded pop quiz from your high school days? Remember those? This one teacher who would walk in and say, barely. <laughs> Got to reach back quite a ways, huh, Rick? Had a teacher who would walk in and the first thing they'd say was, take out a half sheet of paper, you know? And that meant we were in deep yogurt. And I know I was traumatized through all of those experiences. So part of my therapy, part of my recovery is to be on the giving end of a pop quiz. So take out a half sheet of paper. Uh, your sermon outline will do if you want to turn over on the back side. I'm just going to see how well you've been listening here these last few weeks as we've been studying Philippians together. Obviously, if you're a first-time guest here today, you get a pass, okay, on this. But uh, the rest of you, let's see how we've been doing. You can number one through six. I've got six questions for you. First one is true or false. The book of Philippians is actually a thank you letter written by a missionary to a supporting church. True or false? Don't shout out the answer. Just write down a T or F there next to number one. book of Philippians is actually a thank you letter written by a missionary to a supporting church. Number two. This is the tough one, all right? Fill in the blank. This is from week one. We talked about the joy of teamwork. The sermon in a sentence was this. Lasting, joy-filled partnerships don't just happen... They must be blank and strengthened continuously. Hmm, think about that one for a minute. Lasting, joy-filled partnerships don't just happen. They must be blank and strengthened continuously. We kind of stumped the last night's crowd on that one. See how you guys do. Number three. You'll get this one, all right? In Philippians 1.21, Paul wrote these words, For me to live is blank, and to die is gain. For me, he said, to live is blank, and to die is gain. Fill in the blank on that one. Number four, this is multiple guess. When Paul wrote this letter, he was in prison in Rome for the crime of, A, traveling without a proper visa, B, witnessing to the Roman guards. C, stirring up the people by preaching the gospel. D, going 55 in a 35 mile per hour chariot speed zone. Why was he in prison? All right, number five, true or false. Paul lashed out against certain preachers of the gospel who had seized the opportunity afforded by his imprisonment to grab some of the spotlight for themselves. True or false? Paul lashed out at those guys. And number six, true or false? Hearing that there was some, <clears throat> excuse me, hearing that there was some bad blood between them, Paul pleaded with two women in the church to reconcile their differences after an ugly incident in the parking lot. True or false? Kind of a trick question, okay? All right, got your answers? Here we go. Number one, what's the answer? True or false? True. The book of Philippians is a thank you letter from Paul to his supporting one of his supporting churches, the church there at Philippi. So if you answered true, you got one correct. How about number two? Lasting, joy-filled partnerships don't just happen. They must be built is correct. They must be built and strengthened continuously. Remember we talked about marriages and other partnerships. 
Close ones don't just happen. They've got to be built. Number three, for me to live, Paul wrote, is Christ. That's right. For me to live is, is Christ, he said. And to die is gain, going to heaven. Number four, which letter? C. Paul was in prison in Rome because he was stirring up the people by preaching the gospel, which amounted to high treason, really, against the Roman emperor. Number five, true or false, Paul lashed out against certain preachers of the gospel. False. Remember, he actually said, hey, if they're preaching the gospel message, I rejoice in that. I rejoice. Even if their motives are bad, I rejoice that they're spreading the gospel. So that's false. And number six, first part is true. Paul did plead with two women to reconcile their differences. There was no ugly incident in the parking lot. That We just made that up. How many of you got five out of six? Awesome. Anybody get all six? Oh, yeah. Cool. Ex- excellent. All right. Very good. Well, uh, hope that didn't traumatize you too much. We'll do that again sometime. Probably not real soon. We'll let you give you some time to recover from that. <laughs> well, today we're talking about the joy of living the life. Living the life that Christ has called us to live as his followers. And so if you have your Bible, turn to Philippians chapter 2, and we'll start out in verse 12. Today's sermon in a sentence goes like this. You can only talk the talk if you're living the life. You can only talk the talk if you're walking the walk, if you are living the life of following Christ. And I wonder how many people there are in Columbus, Ohio, who got turned off somewhere along the line to Christianity or to Christ or to church because they knew someone who talked the talk, who claimed to be a Christian, but their lifestyle didn't support it. Their lifestyle didn't back it up. I wonder how many Christians have been, or how many people have been turned off by Christians who weren't living the life. And I imagine the truth be told that some of us in this room who actually have a genuine relationship with Jesus Christ, it's real, it's in us. Even we sometimes let people down, don't we? Sometimes we, we don't live it out the way that, that Christ would have us to live it out. And, and we've probably, even in this room, disappointed people sometimes. And that's humbling. Well, in this section, Paul gives his readers a little pep talk about this very thing. And you can follow along on your study guide. There And in essence, he says this. He says, look, if you are saved, if you're a born-again person, if you've put your trust in Jesus Christ as your Savior, then this, this Christ life, this new life is in you. It really is. And let it out. Let it show. Live the life that God has called you to live. That's what's going to make a difference. He says, that's where the real joy is, is when you're actually living out this life. And this pep talk contains three challenges, and I want us to look at each of them. And here's the first one. It's found in verse 12. Work out. How many of you need to work out a little more than you have? Okay, me too. Work out. In other words, don't just coast along. Give it all you've got. Notice verse 12. Therefore, my dear friends, he writes, 
as you have always obeyed, not only in my presence, but now much more in my absence, continue to work out. There it is. Continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who works in you to will and to act according to his good purpose. First part of Paul's pep talk to this church, he says, work out, don't just coast. Give it all you've got. Work out your salvation. I know some of you right off the bat, you hear that and you say, whoa, 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 time out, time out. I thought that salvation was a gift. I thought God offered salvation as, as a free gift of His grace to those who have faith in Jesus Christ. What's this about working for your salvation? Now look closer. Does it say to work for your salvation? No, what does it say? Work it out. Work it out. In other words, it's inside of you. When you put your faith in Jesus, that was a heart thing. That was a heart decision. Now he says, let it work out into your life. Work out your salvation. Now let me say a few things here. First, salvation isn't just the end of the old. It's the beginning of the new. You believe that? Someone might uh, say this. I'll use my other person voice, okay? Well, if I get saved, then all of my fun's going to come to an end. My fun is done if I get saved. Now, is that true? Rick, when did your fun really begin? 1991. What happened in 1991? That's when you got saved. That's when the fun begins. Yes, in a sense, salvation is the end of the old. It's the end of the old way of living, which wasn't that great anyway. And it's the beginning of something brand new, a relationship with God through Christ. That's when the fun starts. It's the end of the old and it's the beginning of the new. The second thing I want to say is salvation, we need to understand this, is both a single event and a lifelong process of spiritual growth. When Paul writes, work out your salvation, he's basically saying, continue the process that began in you when you got saved. Salvation is both a single event and a lifelong process. Did you know that you are a work in progress? Did you know that? You're a work in progress. In fact, turn to someone and just look at them and say, you are a work in progress. I didn't say to say a piece of work, okay? (laughs) Although some of you are a piece of work. Let's just be honest, and so am I. (laughs) You're a work in progress. You are not yet all that you are going to be. Salvation is not just a single event. It's a process over a lifetime of spiritual growth. Now, can I take a moment and teach some theology? Just very simply, may I? Salvation, we need to understand this, comes to us in three acts. Okay? There's a past, present, and future aspect of salvation. You can say it this way. In the past... I was saved from the penalty of sin. Would you say that with me? I was saved from the penalty of sin. That's in the past. When Rick trusted Jesus Christ as his Savior in 1991, 
all of his sins at that moment and the penalty of those sins was wiped away. And God did not hold his sins against him any longer from that point on. That's part of the fun, huh? A clean slate before God. In the past, I was saved from the penalty of sin. But that's not all. In the present, I am being saved from the power of sin. Say that with me. I am being saved from the power of sin. A guy this week came up to me. He said, Steve, this week I got victory over something that I've been struggling with. He's been saved for a long time. But this week, God was working in his life, delivering him, saving him from the power of sin. And then someday in the future, I will be saved from the very presence of sin. Amen? In heaven, there is no sin. None. Zero. Zip. Zilch. Nada. No sin in heaven. That's the future aspect of salvation. In the past, I was saved from the penalty of sin. In the, in the present, I am being saved from the power of sin. In the future, I will be saved from the very presence of sin. Now, theologians have given long, complicated words to these things. And I want to share them with you so you can wow your friends at lunch today. This past aspect they call justification. I was saved from the penalty of sin. I was justified. That's justification. This present aspect, being saved from the power of sin, they call sanctification. So you just, you know, go, hey, I've been learning about sanctification. What do you think about that, huh? Sanctification. And this future aspect is glorification. Glorification. Delivered from the very presence of sin. Justification, sanctification, glorification. Salvation is both an event and a process. Think of it this way. The point of getting saved is like having a seed planted in your heart. But the process of sanctification or spiritual growth is like that seed beginning to sprout and then push its way through the surface and then grow leaves and then grow fruit. That's spiritual growth. Now, here's something else we need to understand. Salvation, spiritual growth, I should say, has two sides. Our part and God's part. Now look back at Philippians 2, 12 and 13. Here's what it says. Work out your salvation. Do you see that? Work out, you work out your salvation. With fear and trembling, it says, for it is God who, what? Works in you. Do you see both parts? You work out, for God is working in. You work out your salvation, God's working in you. It's not just up to me, it's not just up to you, it's a cooperative effort. Do you see that? Now, I don't lose much sleep at night wondering if God's going to do His part. I'm pretty confident that He's going to pull off His end of things. I'm more concerned about me doing my part. When it says work out, it means to give energy to, to expend energy, to work at it. People I know who are growing in their spiritual lives, who are making process in sanctification, do this. They get very intentional about growing spiritually. In fact, some of them even have a plan, a a spiritual growth plan. And they do things like making sure that they're spending time in God's Word regularly, listening to it, reading it, hearing it, because they know that's going to help them grow. 
They spend time in prayer, often. Maybe in their car on the way to work. They're talking to God while they're driving. Probably not recommended for some, but they do that. Or maybe in their quiet place at home, they, they talk to God. Or maybe you know on their bed before they, they uh, go out for the night. They gather together with other people in large group settings and in small group settings, other believers, because they know that that's just part of growing. Just some of Christianity is caught and not taught. It, it rubs off by being around Christian people. They use their spiritual gifts to, to serve and bless other people in ministry. Not only because it blesses others, but because they know that helps them grow spiritually. That's our part in cooperating with God's work in our lives to grow. But listen, you need to realize that God is at work in you. Did you know that? You can rejoice today. I want to look you in the eye and say, you know what? God is at work in your life. Yes, He is. Sometimes I just pray, God, open my eyes so I see it, so I see your work. Say, God, why did you drop this, you know, extremely annoying person in our office at work. Why? Why? And I can tell you, it's not just about the climate in your office. It's about something in here that God's doing in you. And He's going to use that annoying person to surface that so that you see it. God is at work in you. Isn't that cool? He's working in your life. You don't have a a greater advocate for your spiritual growth than God in heaven. He's more interested in it than you are. See? (laughs) Couldn't have planned it better. God, you're awesome! It says, work out your salvation with fear and trembling because it's God who works in you. It's God. All right. Paul says, if you're going to live the life that Jesus has called you to, do your part. Work it out. Get focused. Expend some energy. Don't just coast along. Make it a priority in your life. And when you do that, something else will start to happen. Like bright, shining stars against the backdrop of a a black velvet night sky. Paul says you'll begin to stand out. And that's the second part of his pep talk. Stand out, he says. Don't just blend in with everybody else. Be different. That's okay. A couple of weeks ago, we were on a retreat, and we were—it's about 30 miles from here. We got away from from the city of Columbus, and and late that night, we looked at—we could actually see the stars because there wasn't the ambient light coming from the city lights, and it's beautiful. Just these brilliant, sparkling stars standing out. That's his second challenge. Notice verse 14. Do everything without complaining or arguing. Well, that would stand out right there, wouldn't it? so that you may become blameless and pure. You might want to underline that phrase. Blameless and pure. Children of God without fault in a crooked and depraved generation. (laughs) That was his generation then. I wonder what he would call this generation. 
in which, listen, in which you shine like stars, there it is, in the universe, as you hold out the word of life, in order that I may boast on the day of Christ that I did not run or labor for nothing. Paul issued this challenge. Work out your salvation and now stand out. Don't be afraid to stand out from the crowd. In fact, it's been my experience over the years that that God who works in us for our spiritual growth will put us in situations where we have to make a choice. Am I going to just blend in and go with the flow here or am I going to stand out because of my faith in Jesus Christ? You ever been there? Where you had to make a choice? Three of my heroes in the Bible are named Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Not wild about their names, but they were great guys. You know the story. It's recorded in the book of Daniel. In captivity, in the land of Babylon, one day they were invited to this huge festival. Thousands and thousands of people around where this huge image was going to be unveiled. An image of the king. And that image is unveiled and everybody gasped and then the word went out. Everybody must bow down and worship the image of the king of Babylon. And you heard this sound. Everybody hitting the deck, eating dust on their faces, except these three guys standing there. And I could just see the the king looking out across the landscape and going, what? Are those three guys still standing? Did they not get the memo or what? Somebody go tell them what the deal is here. And so someone walks out and says, you know, did you guys get the word? You're supposed to bow down. Have you noticed that all you see is rear ends all around you as far as you can see? What's the matter with you people? And Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego looked and said, you know what? We will not bow down to anyone but Almighty God in heaven. Won't do it. We don't care what everybody else is doing. We don't care that you're threatening to take our lives. We don't care if you heat the furnace seven times hotter. doesn't matter. Our lives are not our own. We worship God and God alone. I get goosebumps thinking about it. Those guys stood out from the crowd because of their conviction and their faith in Jesus Christ. But you know, it's not always those life and death kind of decisions that cause us to stand out. Sometimes it's just the everyday sorts of decisions, isn't it? Where we can take a stand. We can stand out. We can be different from the people of this world who don't have a relationship with God. Paul gives us three ways that God's people stand out. First, as I mentioned, he says, do everything without complaining or arguing. You know what? A cheerful, content, compliant attitude Stands out, doesn't it? When you choose to not join the chorus of complainers at work, at the office, when you just withdraw from that, say, I'm really not going to be a part of that, tell you what, you're going to stand out. When you choose to withdraw from an argument and, and, and not be argumentative and contentious, because now you no longer have to be right all the time, that stands out. That's different. Second, valuing blamelessness and purity stands out. He says, 
so that you may become blameless and pure. Oh my gracious, in our culture, purity really stands out, doesn't it? When you decide for the sake of staying pure that you're not going to watch things that everybody else is watching, that you're not going to necessarily just wear what everybody else is wearing, just because it's in fashion, you're not going to wear stuff that's, that's too tight or too low or too short. I guess we're talking about ladies on that one. And can I just say a few things about this? Wouldn't it be great to be in a church full of men and women who have covenanted to protect each other? Wouldn't that be great? Wouldn't it be great if the men in our church, the guys in our church said, you know what? Our sisters in the Lord, our sisters in Christ are precious. They are valuable. They are treasured to us. We're going to protect them. We're going to protect their hearts. We're not going to take advantage of them. We're not going to manipulate them for our ends. We're not going to view them as pieces of meat. We're going to love and cherish and protect our sisters because we're in the same family. I'll bet there's some ladies who could get excited about that. And what if the women in our church would covenant and say, you know what, we're going to protect our brothers in Christ. We're going to, we're going to protect their hearts. We're going to protect their eyes by the way we talk and, and the way we dress because we know that our brothers want to be pure in heart. I mean, I want to be part of a church where the men and the women have covenanted to protect each other. Purity stands out. When you say, you know, I'm not, I'm not going to get in, involved in a sexual relationship outside of marriage, even though all my friends are maybe doing it, I'm not going to do that. Because I want to be pure. Because I'm all about Him and His smile. I'll tell you what, blamelessness stands out in our culture. When you decide at work, you know, I'm not going to cut corners. I'm going to shoot straight with my customers. I'm going to tell them the truth. That stands out like bright, shining stars in a midnight sky. Paul says, don't be afraid to be different. You say, well, other people will, will, will make fun of me. They'll ostracize me. I'll be alienated. Listen, who's in your grandstand anyway? Whose smile do you want? I mean, when it's all said and done, isn't it all about him? Stand out. Here's another thing that will cause you to stand out, being anchored to God's Word. He says, as you are those bright shining stars, he says, hold forth the Word of life. It could also be translated, hold on to the Word of life. Either way, the idea is to be anchored to the Word of God. And friends, that stands out in a culture where everybody else isn't tethered to anything but their own pleasure not anchored to anything. When you're anchored to the rock of the Word of God, that stands out. So let me ask you, are you standing out these days? Do people notice a difference in you? Paul implores his readers, live the life. Don't just talk the talk. Walk the walk. Live it out. Work out your salvation. Stand out from the crowd. And finally, he says, step out. Step out and choose godly role models. And he's going to talk about role models a little bit. 
role models. In the remainder of this section, Paul talks about himself for a little bit, then he introduces two other guys. And I want us to notice what he says. First, uh, about himself. He says, But even if I am being poured out like a drink offering on the sacrifice and service coming from your faith, I'm glad about that. And I rejoice with all of you, and you too should be glad and rejoice with me. I think he's saying, Philippians, you need to think about how I live my life. I'm, I'm, my life is being poured out for God, for Jesus and his cause. You need to think about that, I think is what he's saying. And then he talks about another man named Timothy. He says, I hope in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to you soon, so that I also may be cheered when I receive news about you. For I have no one else like him who takes a genuine interest in your welfare. For everyone looks out for his own interests, not those of Jesus Christ. You know that Timothy has proved himself, because as a son with his father, he has served with me in the work of the gospel. I hope, therefore, to send him as soon as I see how things go with me. I'm confident in the Lord that I myself will come soon. Then he talks about another fellow, Epaphroditus. Would you say that? Epaphroditus. But I think it necessary, he writes, to send back to you Epaphroditus, my brother, fellow worker, fellow soldier, who is also your messenger, whom you sent to take care of my needs. This was probably the guy who brought the financial gift to Paul from this church. Now he's getting ready to send him back, probably with his letter. He says, uh, For Epaphroditus longs for all of you and is distressed because you heard that he was ill. And indeed he was ill and he almost died. God had mercy on him, not on him only, but also on me to spare me sorrow upon sorrow. I mean, here I am in prison already, and then to have a friend, you know, possibly die. He said, God spared me of that. Therefore, I'm all the more eager to send him, so that when you see him again, you may be glad and I may have less anxiety. Welcome him in the Lord with great joy and honor men like him. Would you underline that? Honor men like him because he almost died for the work of Christ, risking his life to make up for the help that you could not give me. Three men, Paul, Timothy, Epaphroditus. Note some of the godly traits that uh, we see in these three men's lives. Of Paul and Epaphroditus both, it is said that they were willing to serve Christ at great personal risk. It cost them something. Of Timothy, it was said that he was genuinely interested in the welfare of other people and that he looked out for the interests of Jesus. Don't we need more people like that? Who's looking out for Jesus' interests? Well, Timothy was. It was said of Timothy that he gladly served under authority. Of both Timothy and Epaphroditus, it is said that they worked well alongside others. They were team players. And of Epaphroditus... It was said that he loved people and cared for their needs. I think Paul's doing a couple things here by talking about these men. I think first that he's encouraging the Philippians to view these men as role models. I think what he's saying is, look, you can safely follow these guys and know that they're not going to lead you astray. You can follow them as they follow Jesus Christ. I also think that indirectly, 
he's encouraging Timothy and Epaphroditus to view themselves as role models and saying, hey, look, guys, there's a great responsibility that comes with the influence when people are looking up to you and following you. You guys need to take that to heart. You need to take that seriously. I think we all need role models, don't we? You know, a child growing up in a home needs a role model to follow. A new Christian, fresh into the family of God, needs a role model. Someone in flesh and blood who's living it so they can see, here's, here's how you live this Christian life. I've talked to a number of people over the years who grew up in broken homes, and they've said things like, you know what, Steve, I don't know what a godly dad looks like because I didn't have one. I need a role model. Or I don't know what a godly mom looks like because I didn't have one. I need a role model. I know in my own life, I did not make much progress spiritually until I met someone who was living the life. A role model for me. It just made it seem more possible. Like, well, maybe I could do that too. Maybe I could talk to God like that. Maybe I could be strong in the Word like that because I saw it done. The challenge here is to step up in two ways. I think first Paul is saying, listen, Philippians, listen, church, step up and choose the right kind of role models for your own life. Don't just latch on to some celebrity whose face appears on the cover of a magazine just because they've got, you know, Oscars and Emmys and Grammys and Tonys and Ozzies and Harriets and all that. Don't just latch on to someone just because of their, you know, they're talented and good looking. Have you ever taken a closer look at their personal life? It might be a mess. Choose the right kind of role models, I think is what he's saying. Godly people, like these guys, like people in our church who are walking with God. And then I think he's saying also, many of us need to step up and be a godly role model. You know people are watching you? There's somebody in their life who's watching you and they're looking to you and they're taking their cues from you might be those little people walking around in your home. might be other people at work or in the church or in your small group. And they desperately need a role model. And you're looking around, maybe I wonder who that's going to be. And God's saying, it's supposed to be you. I want you to be their role model. Now, a little commercial here for our children's ministries and our student ministries. Children and middle schoolers and high schoolers need a role model, don't they? They will find role models somewhere. Now, I know, we all know, that the primary responsibility for raising children and being role models is is given to parents, right? We say that around here. Pastor Scott said it last week. It's true. But we also think it's very healthy to have other adults speaking into the lives of our children. Sometimes it's more effective, isn't it? You know how this works. You're a parent. You've said something to your child 800 times. And some, you know, small group leader or youth pastor speaks something into their life and it's the same exact thing and they go, wow, you know what I heard today? And you're like, yeah, I've been saying that to you for 15 years. You know, how come you didn't? It's just true. Our children need other 
adults speaking into their lives. And some of you have so much to offer and, and God would call you to be a role model maybe for some children in our children's ministries. Maybe a table group leader with eight young ones, third graders, around you every weekend that you get to be a role model for. Not a role model of perfection, because there ain't any, <laughs> but a role model of progress in a genuine Christian life. Or maybe with our middle schoolers or high schoolers. You know, you don't have to wear a big old sign that says, you know, I will be your role model. That doesn't work anyway. But you could let us know that you have an interest in that and, and, and maybe coming alongside students and just hanging with them and being there. And, and God might use you to change a student's life. Amen. Well, Paul said, when you come across people like this, when you come across godly role models, he says, honor them. And we're going to do that right now in our service because um, we have three men who are honorable. They are godly role models in our church and they've been affirmed by the elders of our church and by you all to step up into the role of eldership, elderhood, the lady said elderfication, <laughs> but they are here, and right now I'm going to ask them to come forward because we want to honor these men. So uh, Jay Akins and Bill Robbins, Jeff Morton, if you guys would come and stand in front of our congregation. Church, we are blessed to have men like this in our church, and these men are role models. They are not perfect. They don't claim perfection. But they're growing in their relationship with Christ. And we believe that for such a time as this in our church, God has called these men into the role of elder, which is a leadership and oversight role. And uh, we all affirmed that several weeks back. And this morning we wanted to present them to you. And we're going to have a word of prayer together as a church. And... Um, we're just going to bless God for sending us these men. If you don't know them, this is Jeff Morton right here. And uh, Jeff and Lynn have been in our church for 13 years. Uh, Jeff has served as a deacon. He served as a small group leader. He's worked uh, in our children's ministries for all, almost all of that time. And um, he's led a small group. He's coached small groups. He and his family have been just wonderful additions to new life. And... Um, it's great to have Jeff on board as an elder. This is Bill Robbins right here in the middle. And Bill and Claire have been attending here for nine years. Bill is our Director of Marriage Enrichment Ministries. And so they have just blessed and helped so many married couples in our church. And we are so grateful for that. He has served as a deacon and has been the chairman of our deacons for the last several years. And uh, has great clarity of mind and wisdom. And we value him highly. Amen. And uh, this over here is Jay Akins. And Jay and Pam, their family, have been with us coming up on six years. Jay's also served as a deacon. And uh, he heads up our financial freedom ministries, has helped many of us, you know, with budgeting and personal finance. And now he's developing a team and a small group network to just expand that. And uh, is a wonderful man. You've heard him speak uh, maybe a couple times from uh, our platform. And we're just blessed to have a gift uh, like the Aikens family in our church. 
And so this morning, we want to recognize together God's work in these men's lives. And I'm going to ask you, gentlemen, if you would, to turn and kneel here. And I'm going to ask you, church, to stand, if you would, and to join us in prayer for these men and for our church. I'm going to ask you to join hands together with those around you. And uh, Pastor Brian and I are going to pray a prayer of blessing on these men. And as we do that, would you pray also for them, for their families, and pray for our church, okay? Pray that, in theological terms, that God would blow the doors off this place and fill this place with his power and his presence and just bring many, many, many people to the Savior through New Life Church. Let's pray. Father God, we come before you right now in a solemn moment. We come recognizing the awesome work that you have done in the lives of each of these men. Lord, it is just tremendous what you have done. Thank you for bringing them to such a level of maturity and godliness. Lord, they are examples to your flock here at New Life. Lord, you know they don't claim to be examples of perfection, but of progress, yes. They are striving to know you and follow you. Lord, I pray that you would impress upon each of them the seriousness of this role of serving as an elder at New Life. Help them to realize they are role models, even more so than they have been in the past. Lord, we pray a special anointing from your Holy Spirit upon these men at this moment an anointing to lead, an anointing to oversee the affairs of this church, to guide it with wisdom, to hear the voice of God. Lord, we ask for that. We thank you that you have ordained these men to serve in this role at this time, and we give you praise. Lord, protect them from the evil one. Protect them, we pray, from the enemy who would seek to get into their marriages, get into their lives, wreak havoc. We pray against the enemy in the name of Jesus Christ. We pray for a hedge of protection around each of these men and their families. God, as these men step into this important role, God, we ask that your hand would be mighty in their life. God, that you would pour wisdom into all that they say and do. God, that as they Seek to stand as examples. God, that the people around them would realize that they can, if they follow them, they can, they'll be following Christ. God, I pray that they would be free of discouragement in times when they realize that uh, being an example is a complicated matter. We're often not that great at it. God, help them to sense your grace poured out on them. God is they join together in leading this church. God, may this church, each of its members, follow, realizing that godly men are under shepherds beneath the great head of the church, Jesus Christ. Father, we once again today offer this church up as yours. This is your church, not ours. Father, this is a place that we want to be about you and not about us. God, may each of these men place you first. 
in not only church matters, but in their personal life all the time. Allowing you to be the leader, the example that we follow. We are grateful for that great example you gave us of your son. said honor the godly role models in your life. Would you honor these men with a round of applause right now? Amen. Thank you, men. You can have a seat. Please remain standing, everyone, for just a moment. We're going to worship God. One little phrase that in that passage we just kind of glossed over. It's a whole sermon in itself, but I just want to mention it. It says, Work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. Did you see that? Fear and trembling. Because it's God who works in you. I confess there's not enough of that fear and trembling in my life. I don't think there's enough fear and trembling in this church's life towards God. We know He's the loving Heavenly Father. We know we can crawl up into His lap and and be comforted by Him and hear His voice and, and all of that. That's true, isn't it? But He's also the Holy One, God Almighty, the Creator of the universe, the Mighty God. We're not to run away from Him. That's not what the word fear means. It means to hold Him in high regard, the highest regard, to revere Him, to, hold, to be in awe of Him. And to have clean hands and a pure heart as a result of worshiping that kind of God. Let's do that together, can we? Let's worship the mighty, holy God.